Welcome to the New Vision Church podcast. New Vision Church is a diverse, Bible-teaching, Jesus-centered church in San Diego, California, and exists to transform people and their communities by replicating followers of the biblical Jesus. Thanks for joining us today. Now here's this week's sermon. Chapter this morning as we're continuing our, our sermon series, Love Thy Neighbor, um, Hey, I feel, and I've talked to this about staff, um, as we've been going through this sermon series, I know it's, it's, it's a challenging topic when you deal with race and faith. When you're dealing with racism, you're dealing with all that, that could be a challenging topic for some. And uh, I, I, want, I feel like I need to make some clarifications because there might be some under, misunderstandings of where I stand. And I, so I want to share with you a little bit before I get into the message a little bit. Racism is a sin. Racism is a sin, okay? And in this season, and all that we're seeing, and all that's happening, I feel like we need to address it. Because this is a deep-rooted issue, and we may have some blind spots. I have chosen to take some time to, to weed it out. Now, I, I, I've used a lot of different terms in, my, in this sermon series. Some might be uncomfortable for some. I used the word, I talked a little bit about social justice, but even in my sermons about that, I said that you had to kind of reword that or redefine that. And I, I took out the word social justice and I said biblical justice and, and changed it over because you find biblical justice throughout the scriptures. We see justice found in the scriptures. You only have to read Psalms 89, 14 says, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne Mercy and truth go before your face. So I, I really believe there is a, 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 a biblical justice that is found throughout scriptures. I, I would challenge you just to look up the word justice, how many times it's found in the scriptures, and do some research on that. As it relates to the issues of Black Lives Matter, I, in my first sermon I mentioned I believed in the message of Black Lives Matter, but not necessarily supporting the movement in fact, let me give you an example of what I mean by the message. If I'm sitting around the table with my family and my son is sick, then I'm going to address the issue of my son's health and well-being. Though my whole family's sitting at the table, and yes, all my family matters, but right now what's sick is my son, and so I have to address the, the, the issue that my son is failing, Right? I have to pay attention to his, his hurt. I think that's the message of Black Lives Matters right now is that there are some people that are hurting right now that we might have to give a little bit more attention to. Yes, I believe all lives matter. I want you to hear me. I believe all lives matter. I believe in blue lives matter. I want you to hear me. Why? Because all lives around me are my neighbor. And I'm called to love my neighbor. And so I want you to understand that. Yes, I am against violence. I am against looting. And I will say that I can't now, and I want to make this perfect clear, I will say that I can't even align myself with the Black Lives, Black Lives Matters organization because there are some ideologies that go against Scripture and my own personal conviction. I think it's been hijacked. Listen, everyone in my community is my neighbor, 
and I'm called to love my neighbor, whether I agree with them or not. So I share this with you out of love. If you want to discuss more privately, guys, you know my door is open. You know that you could come to me and we could have a dialogue because I think addressing those issues and dialoguing are so important. My door is open to discuss those issues. If you're struggling with some of those issues or struggling with some of those things that I'm dialoguing, I'm willing to sit down and dialogue with you if those are issues that you want to really address. I think there's some great things happening in our church right now as there's a lot of dialogue going on as it relates to some of these issues. But I feel like I needed to bring some clarity to why I'm doing what I'm doing and sharing what I'm sharing. Amen? Hey, we're going to be in Acts, the 10th chapter. Um, and, and really, my message this morning is love without blind spots. Uh, on my RAV4, I have this RAV4. On my RAV4, are, on each side are my mirrors, and I have a, a special feature on those mirrors. When I, when I first bought the car, I remember driving down and I saw these flashings on my mirrors. They're little like icons flashing on and off. Every so often they would be flashing on and off. And I didn't know what they were. I'm like, what are those things flashing on my mirrors? And so I remember going to uh, my car manual and looking up what it was. And I discovered that they were there as lights to give warnings that there were people on my cars on my blind side that I, if I didn't see them, they was warning me of my blind spots and there's somebody right next to me. Guys, we have God's word as our manual as an instrument to reveal our own blind spots. That there are things in our lives that we have to be careful, careful of uh, this morning. When you come to the 10th chapter of Acts, God intervenes in Peter's life through a vision to reveal his blind spots. And God wanted to do a great work through Peter. But he first needed to do, uh, to do a great work in Peter. It was this work in Peter that led to the great Gentile revival. And so we're going to look at his story in Acts chapter 10 as we're talking about blind spots this morning. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I, I thank you, Lord, for this day. I thank you for your love and blessings. I thank you for your goodness and your mercy and your grace, Lord. And I pray that as I continue on, uh, in this series, specifically in Acts chapter 10, Lord, we would have an ear to hear. We would have ear to hear, Lord, this morning. Father, we want you to deal with our hearts. We want you to deal with, with how we think. We want you to deal with these things scripturally. And so I pray this morning, Lord, as I enter into your word, I pray your Holy Spirit will begin to instruct us on those very things. So we thank you, we praise you, and we honor you. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. The first thing, we'll look at kind of three different things this morning. The first thing this morning is talking about blind spots, erasing the blind spots in our heart for revival. God wanted to do something in Peter's life to bring a great movement. And he had to deal with Peter's own blind spots. My wife and I have been uh, in the process of working on our, our backyard and we have cleared a lot of debris and rocks and weeds and areas that we needed to, to landscape. And so we begin to prepare the groundwork for what we needed to do on that landscaping. Uh, we, we're getting ready to do some development. I think as a nation, in the past month, God has been doing some debris moving, some rock moving, some things that are in our heart as a nation. He wants to, to tend to it. He wants to deal with it because he wants to do a good work through his people. And before he could do a good work through his people, he wants to work in his people so he can work through his people. 
And, and we're seeing that's going to happen in Acts chapter 10, right? We have to deal with our, our own blind spots, of how we see people. Why? Because God is always working on the heart of people. In fact, in Psalm 51, 17, it says, the sacrifice of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. He's gonna always deal with the heart of men. He's not gonna deal with the behavior of men. He's gonna deal with the heart of men because out of the heart proceeds our behavior. You change the heart of a man, you'll change the behavior of a man. So God is always getting to the root of issues. He's getting always to the root of man's heart, his condition. And so we're going to see first a couple of different characters of the story. You're going to see Cornelius. You're going to see Peter. You're going to see the servants. You're going to see Simon the Tanner. You're going to see all these characters. And the first person he comes to is first preparing Cornelius' heart in verses 1 through 8. Right? He's going to have a, Cornelius is going to have a vision of something that he may not even be understanding what that vision is, but he's going to command it to do something. And out of obedience, he's going to do it. Look at verses 1 through 8 here. It says, there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave arms generously to the people and prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius, and when he observed him, he was afraid and said, what is this, Lord? So he said to him, your prayers and your alms have come up from a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner whose house is in by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. And when the angel spoke to him, he departed. Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. And so when he had explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. The first character in the story is a centurion. He's a military man. Now, God had been doing a great work in breaking down walls. In fact, he, you know, he gave us in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, a command. He says, I'm going to give you powers that you would be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost parts, he said. We read that in Acts at 1, 8. God had been doing that, that process. He, he began to minister to the Jews we see that in Acts chapter 2 when we see the, the Pentecost fall. Many Jews, 3,000 come to faith. Many of them Jewish people coming to faith. But as time had passed, the church had begun to grow. We find that the walls begin to expand. And we see in Acts chapter 8, a man named Philip begins to expand to the area of Samaria. And we see he does ministry to, in the Samaritan, to Samaritans in the, in, the, in the community that in Samaria. And then we see he goes and ministers to an Ethiopian eunuch in the same passage. And we see these guys beginning to do this. But by the time you come to Acts chapter 10, God is broadening the vision. He's expanding the gospel to people that are not Jewish. And so in Acts chapter 10, you're coming to see how God's going to open up the gospel to the Gentile world. And he's going to minister to a centurion here. Uh, one who's of the Roman army. One who would oversee a hundred men in his, in his regiment. He was a Gentile. He was not a, a Jewish man. We knew that in that culture and in that time, and I've shared this many times before, that Jews and Gentiles didn't get along. They, they, they hated one another. There was a, a race issue. There was a wall. There was a division. When I talked about Samaria, 
uh, last week. I talked about how they would go around Samaria. They wouldn't go through Samaria. And now they come to a nation that's non-Jewish and they did not see eye to eye. And so God's going to start breaking down the walls here. But look at this man's character. What was his character like? He's a centurion, but what is his character like? He was a spiritual man. He was a God-fearing man. He was devoted to his family, and he led in spiritual things. Many of the centurions of the Bible, actually in scriptures, are seen very favorably, right? We know the story of the centurion that came to Jesus when his servant was healed, and he said, hey, can you heal my servant? And he said, only say the word, and your servant shall be healed. And Jesus did, he healed his servant. We know the centurion at the cross, when he saw Jesus on the cross, he said, surely this must be the son of God. And now we see this centurion here who had a, a spiritual background, a religious background. Many of the centurions, many of the military arm, men in the army in Rome were very polytheistic. And they believed in many gods, and, and, and they, they worshiped many gods, but some didn't believe in that. Some were monotheistic in their belief, and some actually believed in the God of Judaism. Though they weren't circumcised, and though they didn't commit, fully committed, we see here this centurion who worshiped God, and he, and, he, and he gave to the alms to the poor, and he supported Jewish issues. We see that in verse 22. And what did he do? He prayed often. He was a, a praying man. We know that Cornelius was close to the kingdom. God was doing a work in Cornelius' life. God is preparing him. God had been preparing There are a lot of people that are very spiritual today, and, and they might have spiritual practices today, but just like Cornelius, they're not necessarily saved until they come to faith in Jesus. Though Cornelius was close to the kingdom, he was still religious, but he still wasn't saved. You're going to see that in the story. And so you see in verses three to eight here, what do you see? You see this vision that he has and he's commanded to do something. We see him praying, right? When he has this vision, he says he, he's praying in the ninth hour, which would have been about 3 p.m. We know in the Jewish custom and culture, they would pray three times a day, 9, 12, and 3. So he had been practicing some Jewish worship, practicing in prayer. And so we see he's, at three o'clock, he's praying, right? When this angel visits him, when this ministering spirit comes to visit him, we, in verse 30, it reveals that he had been fasting and praying and that a man stood next to him in bright clothes. That's described in verse 30. Guys, I think the reason why we're called to love our neighbor and love one another is we never, ever be careful that we don't ever underestimate that we might just be entertaining angels, right? Right? Hebrews 13, 2 says, do not forsake the, to entertain strangers for by doing so, some have unwillingly entertained angels. We're called to love our neighbor because we don't know who they are. Sometimes we don't know their narrative. Sometimes we don't know their story. We don't know their background. So we're called to, to love our neighbor, our, our neighbor. The angel comes and acknowledges Cornelius' spiritual practice and devotion and generosity. He says, God sees you. Did you know that God sees us today? God sees us today. In fact, nowhere does it say that Cornelius introduced himself, but the angel said, Cornelius, God sees you. The angel knew Cornelius' name. And God knows your name today. He knows who you are. He knows exactly what you're going through, right? He sees our diversity he sees our cultural differences. He knows our names. And what does the angel do? He commands him to go to find Simon Peter at the Tanner's house. Simon the Tanner's house to find Simon Peter. This is what you need to do. Go down to Joppa. 
You know, God will command us to do things, but he may not always give us the details of what we're to do when we get there, right? He sends, he sends, somebody, I need you to go down to Joppa to find Simon Peter. He has a word for you. And we see that Cornelius responds. He sends two servants and a military person with them to go down to Joppa, right? God is preparing Cornelius' heart for a great move of God. He's preparing him. Cornelius is sensitive to the things of God. Are you open to the things of God today? Are you sensitive to the things of God today? Maybe you don't necessarily understand who God is, or maybe you're struggling with faith or who Jesus is, but are you just open that you might be able to hear from the word from the Lord today? That's my challenge number one, okay? But as he's preparing Cornelius' heart, God is preparing Peter's heart. God is always working whether you see it or not. The kingdom is always working whether you see it or not. And he's always working on the heart of men. And you're going to see in verses 9 through 16 that he's working on Peter's heart. Peter has a vision just like Cornelius has a vision, right? Visions are important. For without vision, the people perish. Without revelation, we cast off restraint, the scripture says. We need vision. And he's beginning to set a vision here in front of people's heart. You guys, if sometimes we don't know our purpose, maybe we need to ask God, God, what's my vision purpose today? And God will give it to us. But look at verses nine through 16. It says, the next day, so you got a vision according to this. Now it's the next day. As they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up to the household to pray about the sixth hour. And then he became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance. And he saw heaven open and the object like great sheep bound at all four corners, descending to him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creepy things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, rise, Peter, and kill and eat. But Peter said, no, not so, Lord, for I've never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again the second time. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. This was done three times, underline that, and the object was taken up into heaven again. I love what God is dealing with Cornelius. God is dealing with Peter. Meanwhile in Joppa, can you read the the story? Meanwhile, while God is here, God is doing the work here. You know, you might be concerned about a lot of things. You're asking God to help you. While while God's dealing with you, God's also working with somebody else over here. We have to be mindful of that. God is always working, whether you see it or not. He's on the rooftop about the sixth hour, which would have been about 12 p.m. in the afternoon, right? He's waiting for lunch when he falls into a trance and has this vision. I wonder why he had a vision of food, because he was hungry. God meets us right where we're at. He'll meet you with the tangible. Right? He said, you're hungry, Peter? I'm going to give a vision because I know your stomach is growling and they're making a meal. Here, let me just use this as an illustration to break down some of your blind spots. He gives a vision in verses 11 through, through 13. He talks about the sheep coming down, right? With all these animals in it. Some clean, some unclean. And he's commanding them to, to eat, but he said, no, Lord, I'm not going to eat. I'm not going to do that. Right? First of all, when God commands you to, to do something, we never say no, Lord. Okay? We never say no. And that, that doesn't work together. He says, look at here. Now, what, what is Peter doing? He's naturally, what is he doing? He's naturally going back to his heritage, his, his upbringing, how, what he learned, what he was taught. And, and there was dietary issues as a Jewish man of what they could eat and what they couldn't eat. 
That's what was going on here, right? And so when he saw this dream, he commanded to, to eat, he recalled to his upbringing and his, and his faith practices. But he failed to realize that the new covenant ended dietary laws. It, it ended, he, he's began to, to do that bacon, yeah. Bacon, I just got that. <laughs> you know, he ended some dietary laws that were going on. Three times. Now, I want you to see this. God had to do this dream three times for Peter. Three times. God was slowly breaking down Peter's blind spot. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. Now, how many times, is, what does God have to do always to break down some of our blind spots? Some of our own prejudices, some of our own biases. Some of, sometimes he has to do all these things a couple times to break it down a little bit. When you have stones, man, and you got to break through those stones, you got to sludge them, you got to break it down and crack it in half, and then you got to break it and crack it in half again. Then you, gotta, you, gotta, you know what? The word of God is like a hammer. It's, gonna, it's breaking down the hardness of maybe even Peter's heart and his own issues. And Peter had some blind spots that needed to be corrected. Who is unclean? Who is unclean? Guys, I, I want to share something. We all have blind spots. How we grew up, where we grew up plays a role in how we see things. We have been influenced by our family, our friends, our classmates, our neighbors, and social narratives. In Mild McPherson's uh, book, The Third Option, he gives us some insight. I'm going to share a couple insights, and I want to encourage you to read that book. It's a really great book on issues of racism, and he talks a section on blind spots in his book. If somebody asks you this question, are you a racist? Many would say, no, I have a blank friend. When we ask, when we ask that question, we feel like there's only two answers, yes or no, right? But there actually is a third one, right? We didn't ask if we had blind spots. When I, let me read these phrases and see how you react. Some, some might say a young black male and immediately fear for their safety. Some might see a stereotype, some might see stereotypes of all Latinas as hot-tempered. Some might see all white kids as privileged with wealth, with their wealth. Miles defines blind spots as blind spots are formed when we project our assumptions on what people are like based on past experiences. Now, I'm going to give you a little homework. I want you to Google when you get home, implicit association test blind spots. Implicit association test, blind spot. You could take a test and find out what your blind spots are by questions they ask. There's a test done by Harvard. Pastor, you know, I just want to challenge you with that. I said that we all have blind spots before there can be healing in our land and, and true biblical reconciliation, we have to admit that we have blind spots, right? There has to be a renewing of the mind. There has to be a renewing of the mind. There has to be a, a sense of humility. If we want our land to be healed, there has to be a humility involved and a different way of thinking. So ask yourself this question. Is there something in me that needs to change? You're like a man in the mirror. God, is there something in me that needs to change? Here are a couple of blind spots that we might need to address. I don't have 
a racist bone in my body? How many of you say, I don't have a racist bone in my body. So let me ask you this question. Are you uncomfortable hanging with others that are not like you? Or are you okay if your kids hang out with other people that are not like you? Or are you okay if, even if your kids marry somebody of a different race? You have to ask those questions to yourself, number one. Here's another blind spot. I believe because racism doesn't impact me, it doesn't exist to the degree that people say it does. Don't minimize other people's experience because you haven't experienced it. We are to carry one another's burdens. And we come from a different backgrounds and communities and perspectives and experiences. Be careful we don't minimize what other people have experienced. Here's another one. I am unintentional participant in, the, in a bigotry system, so I am insulated from the guilt of bigotry. Let me ask you this. How has TV, social media, shaped your view of people? Does what you watch justify your bias? Ask yourself this question. Is what I am watching or listening to helping me love my neighbor? I just want to challenge you with those thoughts. We're going to look at a couple other blind spots as we go, as we look at the story. But there's just four of them there, right? So number one, God wants to deal with the heart of Peter and Cornelius. Number two, overcoming blind spots is an ongoing process. We see that Acts 10, 17 to 29, right? You remember the story when the blind man wants to see and Jesus comes to him? And he puts mud and, on his eyes and spits and heals it. But when he opens it up, he can only says, I can't clearly see. I, I see people like trees. And then he continues the, the process of healing. It took a process for that man to be healed. Sometimes it's going to take us a process for us in our own blind spots to work through things how we see things. And it's a process. Peter's willingness to fellowship with those who are different was helping overcome his blind spots. Look at verses 17 and 23. Now, while Peter wondered within himself what this vision which he had seen meant, behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. So as he's processing what's going on, these men show up at the house. And they called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. While Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said, even the Spirit speaks, right? Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, go down and go with them Doubting nothing. Hey, don't be hesitant about what's about to happen. Doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men who had been sent to him from Cornelius and said, yes, I am whom you seek. For what reason have you come? Why are you here? And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man, one who fears God, has good reputation among the nation of the Jews. So we know he loved Jews. He knew, he knew that. Was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear words from you. Then he invited them in lodged them, and on the next day, Peter went away with them, and some brethren from Joppa, Joppa accompanied him. First of all, Peter was given a vision for revival, right? He was given a ministry for reconciliation. He had this vision. He, he sees it taking place, right? What do you see? Number one, Peter was sensitive to the Spirit. Peter was sensitive to the Spirit. Are you sensitive to the Spirit's leading? The Bible says that the, the sheep hear his voice, those who follow Jesus hear his voice. 
So we have to be sensitive to his voice. Number two, God confirmed the identity of these men, and, and, and so you are to give them an ear. Trust them. They, they're coming. I'm sending them. I find it very interesting when God speaks, he's going to confirm it to other things. Two or three witnesses will confirm something. He confirmed it with a vision. He confirms it with a testimony with these men. God is confirming it. Like if somebody comes to me and says, Pastor Pete, uh, the Lord sent me this, blah, blah, blah. Well, fine. But I got to hear from the Lord. I got to hear from other people. I got to hear in a community that that's how God is moving. Just because somebody says them doesn't necessarily mean it's of God. So God will move in a community to speak. He's moving in this community to speak as we're dealing with the issues we're facing today. And it'll be of unity and it will be peaceable. So God will always confirm his work in the spirit among many witnesses. So we see that happening among Peter. But number two, Peter has some fellowship with the servants and the soldiers, these Gentiles, right? In 21 to 23. Peter invited them into the house to lodge with them. He's showing hospitality to them. He's entertaining them as guests. Understand, they're Gentiles. To be amongst, to being a Gentile, you would be considered unclean if you even touched a Gentile. And when Pharisees had their robes and garments, they would tuck, hold on their garments tight so they wouldn't brush up against a Gentile because they did so, they had to do ceremonial washing. So to invite a Gentile into your house, you would be considered unclean. Right? But God is working in Peter's life, inviting the soldiers who were hated by the Jews. Here God's beginning to move, remove Peter's blind spots a little bit, right? Doesn't say much about here about Simon the Tanner or how he felt about it. It's his house, right? You're like, dude, you're bringing in these guys in? But remember, what was the job of a tanner? He killed animals. He, he, he took care of animals, right? The, the law says if you touch an unclean animal, you would be unclean. So maybe just, hey, I'm already unclean. Just bring all the unclean in. You know what I mean? <laughs> and stuff. You know, everybody's welcome here. Hey, we all jacked up anyway. Just come into the house. Right? And so they invited him in. But I love this about it. He invited him. He entertained these two servants plus this soldier. He's entertained. He's caring for him. He's showing her love. He's showing hospitality, right? And then the spirit said, go with them. And so Peter traveled from Joppa to Caesarea, which was about 33 miles, maybe a day or day and a half journey to get from where they were back to meet with Cornelius. What do you think their conversation would have been? What do you think they would have been talking about? What would they have eaten? God is expanding Peter's mind. He's, he's renewing Peter's mind, right? We know centuries, uh, centuries early, a prophet Jonah ran from God and he ran down to Joppa. Remember the story? He ran down the Joppa. He was running away from the voice of the Lord. He was commanded to go to Nineveh and preach, but he didn't. So he, he ran down to Joppa and that ended him into a belly of a fish to deal with his own pain and hatred and racism against the, the Ninevites. And though he grudgingly preached the minimum words to the Ninevites, the Ninevites repented. But Jonah was still a bitter prophet because he wasn't open to the things of the Lord, to the heart of the Lord. Peter went in the spirit of the Lord he had a vision to fulfill. He had a purpose to fulfill, right? Here's a blind spot. I believe all people are God's children, but treat them like they belong to another family. Hmm. Do we see the potential of all people? Do we see the gifting of all people? Do you see what people can contribute? That's how we value people. That's how we value people. Guys, we're all one family. We don't have stepchildren. We're one family. That's who we are as a church. 
We know that Peter's work was a work of progress. We see that in 24 and 29, 24 to 29. Look at this. And the following day, so they're traveling, they enter Caesarea. So the following day, so they're traveling, right? Now Cornelius was waiting for them and he called together his relatives and close friends. Man, he's, he's excited. He's, he's, he's bringing his family in. He's bringing his friends in the neighborhood. All, maybe other soldiers. His family members are there. And as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter lifted him up and saying, stand up, I myself am also a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many who had come together. Then he said to him, you know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one another, another nation. You see some of that blind spots a little bit there, all right? But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore, I came without objection as soon as I was sent for, and I asked then, for what reason have you sent for me, right? Yeah. Peter's entering into a Gentile home. He invited Gentiles into his home or Tanner's home. Now he's been invited into the centurion or Gentile home. We see that in 24 to 27, right? He's greeted by Cornelius and his family and friends. What's such anticipation, right? They're wanting, they're excited to hear from Peter. Man, may we come into the house of God excited to hear from the Lord. May we be ready to receive a word. And what happens? Cornelius bows down and worships Peter. Right? He was a devout and spiritual man and he was showing such respect, but Peter said, no, 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 stop, stop. Get up. I'm just a mere man. I'm just a man. You know, I'm just a man. Guys, I'm your pastor here. I'm your shepherd, but I'm just a mere man. I know, I, you know, I just want to encourage you. We, we're still on this journey together. But by the grace of God, he's allowed me to be on this pulpit to share God's word, but I'm still just a mere man. I'm trying to follow Jesus. Peter says, don't worship me. I'm just a mere man. Here's a blind spot. I believe all people are equal but my ethnicity is superior to others. Mm, call that pride. We've had a lot of things about white pride, brown pride, black pride, right? But we haven't learned that we can learn from one another, that we can grow to learn one another. Are we willing to enter each other's worlds and learn and grow and experience and worship together? Our color shouldn't divide us. In fact, the scripture says pride comes before the fall, right? I'm a brown man. I'm a brown man, but I boast in the Lord. I boast in, in who my creator, that he's made me beautifully brown. But I don't worship my brownness. I worship the creator who made me brown. That, that's what I worship, right? My power is not in my color. My power is in the Holy Spirit that works within me. And I want you to understand that. But we still see Peter had some blind spots in 28, 29, right? He's still holding a little bit to his law. He's still holding a little bit to his lead. You know, if, if I come into your house, right, I'm unclean. I could, I could be killed. You know, he's still got this thing in his mind that like he still has to work through, right? He still has some of that in us. Guys, we all have that in us how we grew up, how we see things, how we experience things. Hey man, that guy's mad dogging me. Maybe he's just looking at you, right? But we're seeing it through our own lens. Oh, 
he's speaking, he's speaking like to me disrespectfully. You know what I mean? Maybe just how he talks. <laughs> you know what I mean? When we don't know people, we, we start making judgments about people, right? But Peter here, he's invited into the house and he begins to begin to minister, right? Peter had moments of failures in his life in his own blind spots. When Paul would go and minister to the Gentiles, that was his ministry, Peter came one time and he was hanging with them and Paul was telling them, hey, you know, Gentiles are saved by faith just like we're saved by faith. And what happened? There was a time when the Judaizers were coming. Remember the Judaizers were the Jews that said in order to be saved, you needed to be circumcised and then you could become a Christian and be in the kingdom. But that's not what the word of God, and Paul says, no, we're saved by faith. We're not saved of works. Let me tell you, we have faith that brings us salvation that produces work. It's not faith and works that bring salvation. It's faith, then salvation, and the fruit is works. That's how it comes. But what happens, Peter's hanging out, eating with the Gentiles with Paul, and the Judaizers come and say, what are you doing? And what is, Peter took a back step and started hanging out with the Judaizers, and Paul confronted him and said, what are you doing, Peter? You have no problems eating with the Gentiles, but when these cats come, now you're backstepping? Listen, Peter still has some blind spots. We still have some blind spots in our lives that we're God's still working through in our lives here. We have to recognize them that we're a work in progress. But God, God will change our perspective. He'll renew our minds. I shall not call any man common or unclean. Blind spot. I acknowledge many perspectives in life, but I'm not really willing to learn from any view that challenges mine. Can we learn from other people's narratives, other people's stories, right? Peter could have judged Cornelius as unclean, but God woke him up. He became a woke church. Ephesians 5 talks about church awaken. He wants to, why am I dealing with these issues? Because I want us to wake us up to the reality of things. And in Cornelius, he explains in verses 30 to 33, he explains how he's praying and they had been waiting for him and he's ready to receive the word from Peter. Can you imagine that? God heard the prayer of an unbeliever. Unbeliever? God doesn't hear prayers of unbelievers. No, he heard this prayer. He heard this prayer. When you're in your mess and you're hurting and you call out to God, he hears you. He hears you. Words don't fall on deaf ears with God. He values our prayers. He heard this man and he moved in this man's heart. Lastly, overcoming blind spots will lead to reconciliation to God. Will lead to reconciliation. Acts 34 to 48. Over here is, we're building, we're remodeling Hope House. We had to demo Hope House. We had to gut it out, this house over here, right? In order to rebuild it. See, the true gospel is the sledgehammer that breaks down the walls of hostility. It destroys the biases and the blind spots and the racism and allows us to become one. Think of an Olympic. We were supposed to have the Olympics this summer and they got canceled, right? When an athlete wins a gold medal, he's on that platform to receive that gold. They don't ask him what song they want to play for him, right? They don't ask him what song they want him to play on the camp. Regardless of their race, they play the anthem of the country they represent. When we are reconciled to God, we now represent the kingdom of God. 
We are the diverse people, Revelation 7.10, but we do not primarily represent our race as much as we represent God's kingdom. We will line up under his banner of love for we are citizens of heaven. We are citizens of heaven. So what do you see here? Peter clarifies God doesn't discriminate in verses 34 and 35. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. The gospel is for all. Whosoever believe, it doesn't discriminate against race, gender, age, economic status. You could be a college educated or a high school dropout. He accepts all who come to him on his terms because we are all saved by faith. In verse 35, he uses the word nations. It's the Greek word ethnos, which means ethnic. Every tribe, tongue, and nation who fear him and reverence him. Revelation 7, 9 says, After these things I look, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribe, people, and tongues, that means languages, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands. That's what heaven looks like. It's a colorful place. And then Peter preaches the gospel to remove the blind spots in verses 36 to 43. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preach peace through Jesus Christ. He is the Lord of all. That word you know, which was proclaimed throughout Judea, began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached and how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with them and we were all witnesses of all things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem whom they killed and, and hanging on a tree. Him God raised up from the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people, to testify that he who is ordained by God is to be judge of the living and the dead, to whom, to him, all prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sin. What is he saying in that long passage right there? Number one, verse 36, it's the gospel of peace. It's the gospel of peace. Men were at war with God and each other, but God is the peacemaker. Amen. God is the peacemaker. Romans 5, 10, right? Number two, the gospel of the coming Messiah. John the Baptist announced, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That Jesus came in the flesh and he defeated sickness and death and the demonic work. He finished that. He had power over things. He had power over the oceans. He had power over the, 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 the winds and the storms. And they saw his work of ministry in the flesh. He was the gospel of atonement in 39 to 41, right? We witness his death, burial, and resurrection. He defeated death and the work of Satan that we might have life. That's the gospel message. He died and was buried, rose again on the third day for the forgiveness of sin, and he's returning again. That's the gospel message. And this gospel message is to be preached in 42 and 43. He's given us the ministry of reconciliation that there is forgiveness for sin. That's the message. That's the message of the gospel. 
And in doing this message, Peter experienced true ethnic reconciliation. Look at 44 to 48 as we close. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word and those of the circumcision who believed were astonished as many came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized receive the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay a few days. Let me tell you something. There's two baptisms there, brothers, sisters. Two baptisms in that picture right there. There's baptism of the spirit and there's baptism by water. We need the first. Did not John says there's one coming who, though, you know, he'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit after these things? Guys, it's the power of the Holy Spirit that changes the heart of man that changes our society. It's the power, we have the power of the Holy Spirit, though he identified. So the first reconciliation was possible by power, right? It was power that brought Jews and Gentiles together by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit moved people reconciled to God and to one another. This was the Gentile, Acts 2. This was the Gentile Pentecost. The move of God's Spirit to reconcile two people that are at odds with each other. Now they're one. That was the power of the Holy Spirit. And then what did he do? He reconciled, gave his people a new identity through baptism. Who, could, who, who forbids people to be baptized? Identifying with Christ. It was their public testimony, right? We identify with the death, burial, and resurrection through our own baptism. We identify, take on his identity through baptism. That's our first way we proclaim the gospel through baptism. The Gentiles, that whole family, and friends got baptized. They heard the word, they received the word, and they were baptized. Reconciliation, biblical reconciliation, made fellowship possible. 48, they asked them to stay a few days. They asked them, hey man, it's been a beautiful time. Let's hang out some more. It's a beautiful picture. Let's just be with each other. It was a mixed community, that two that became one. Blind spot. I don't have any blind spots. I'm just fine. <laughs> nice to meet you, Jesus. <laughs> Scripture says we all fall short of God's standards, Romans 3.23. Guys, we need to be honest with ourselves. We have blind spots. But God is working. It's a process through his word, through his Holy Spirit, that we'd have his eyes, his eyes to see what he sees and to serve like he wants us to serve. That's what it means to love our neighbor. That's what he's calling us to do. So I leave you with these three thoughts here. One, God will deal with the blind spots in our hearts. Trust me, God will deal with the blind spots in our hearts. Number two, overcoming blind spots is a process. He's working in us. We just have to admit that we got him. He's working through those things. Number three, overcoming blind spots leads to true reconciliation. This church would be one. That's the narrative. Hey guys, I, I know we've been closing off with um, a panel, so I'm gonna call Pastor uh, Dennis and, and uh, Robin up here this morning as we're looking at uh, some of these issues here. And so they're joining me on the stage. And as we've been talking about blind spots, um, we're gonna be just addressing some of that. And I'm hoping that in the message, you're processing this in your own heart of what God is speaking to, what he's sharing to you. And so as they're coming, um, the first question I'm going to ask you guys, first of all, a little bit 
as you've heard the message, what are, what are some things that stuck? What are some things that kind of like, man, Pete, this hit, or this may resonate, or this is what's happening? And I know you guys know each other, so you can share a little bit of your story there, but a little bit of what, how we had to overcome our own, our own blind spots on some of those things, right, Pastor? Well, I want to start off with a, a quick story, because I, when Pete, Pastor Pete asked me to be a part of this, as I read it, and read it, and read it, read it, it brought me to a story for me. I've been a chaplain in the prison for 20 years, and teaching, you know, chapel inside the prison with Christians and new beginner Christians. And then about my 17th year, God says, I'm moving you on to a different element and I'm going to have you teach non-believers. And so the state was paying me to go in to teach on eight prison yards to get men prepared that have been down for 20 something years, 30 something years and get them ready to come home. And so God had raised me up in the church put me out into the lion's den, and as I began to get into the different element, there was every race you could think of. You talk about racism, inside prison. You talk about hatred, inside prison. You talk about evil, inside prison. And so God put me in the lion's den, and for such a time as this, he felt that it was time for me to put me in that element. And I'll tell you what, I was being pulled here, I was being pulled here, and they looked at the color of my skin, they know my last name was Martinez, and so the essays would come to me and say, hey, homie, what's up? I'm Italian and Spanish, but thank you very much. <laughs> anyway, to get to the point was that I needed to be prepared, and my job was to point out in love what they couldn't see, blind spots. They thought because I killed another gang member that it was okay. But when I told them that that was a son, that was an uncle, that was a brother, that was a nephew, that had somebody's mom, that had somebody's dad, uh, that brought things into perspective. And until they could see that, they weren't going to come home. And as you guys know on the news, you see about 8,000 inmates are about to be released because of the COVID. In my time of working for years inside the prison, I've seen hundreds and hundreds of guys that I've worked with get out. And when I see them, we don't even have to say anything but smile. And God reminded me of my blind spots. Because I was a Christian, I went in there and took the stand, but every person I had to become all things to all people so that by all means I might win some to the Lord. And so when the white race came to me, the black race came to me, the Hispanic race came to me and they wanted me to pull on sides, I had to take the stand of biblical justice. I had to stand on biblical truth because that was the only thing that was going to get me through. And believe me, when I left the prison all those times, it was a spiritual battle. The devil was pounding on me, pounding on me, and I started to get lackadaisy, and I could see how the devil was working on me, and so I had to get fueled up, prayed up, read the word of God, and, and to do that. So when you asked me, Pastor Pete, to do this, it, this just hit home right in my heart. Um, well, I'm one of those guys that came home. So I was in the prison. I got, I rounded to 25 years. Um, I went to his program when I got out, so here's your smile. <laughs> <laughs> I love you. Um, I want to, when Pete asked me, after he threw me under the bus a couple weeks ago, <laughs> um, about racism and to come and talk, I thought, man, I'm a good guy for that. And here's the reason why. This is what I've learned. So I've never been KKK, I've never been a skinhead, I've never been any of that. But I did used to believe that there was a supremacy in different races. Um, of course, I'm white, so I thought mine was more supreme. And it's kind of weird. I didn't think I was better than anybody else. I was taught 
that I need to stay to my own and they need to stay to theirs. So let me teach you something about racism real quick. <clears throat> Everybody sees on Facebook and everywhere else, um, you're not born racist, you're taught racist. So a lot of people in this room have heard the, if you do something for 21 days, it becomes a habit. So the realism of that is, it takes between 18 to 254 days for something to become a habit. But within 66 days, it will become a behavior. And if you don't know what the definition of the word behavior is, it's the way someone treats someone else. So when you first go to jail, it's the first thing they ask you. <laughs> what race are you? Good, you're going in that cell. When you get to prison, man, you're pretty big and you're white. You're going over in that yard. Whether you realize that they're segregating to avoid problems, those 66 days are starting to tick and it's becoming a behavior and it becomes the way you treat people. So how many 66 days did I have in 25 years? It became a behavior, it became a habit. <clears throat> What's really cool is that I didn't have my communion cup a second ago. Marco said, let me get you one. I said, go ahead. Back in the day, that could have never happened. I could not drink out of a cup out of, after any other race. I couldn't eat after. I couldn't be in the same room. Uh, these are things that you don't even think. They become your behavior. So what changes it? Hopefully everybody in here is a believer, and if you're not, get it one of us afterwards so we can show you where to go. But once you have God, once you have Jesus in your heart, you have the Holy Spirit in your heart, there's only one place that Satan can get you, and that's in your mind. So what happens after you have God? It starts to become another behavior. But you have to follow it. You got to follow the word. You got to do things. And then it will become a behavior. And you won't even realize that your lead pastor is Mexican. <laughs> that an Ethiopian just gave you your communion. That half of the people that I go and minister to are every other race. Riding Harleys and still being themselves. But here I am in the middle of it. Um, as far as the world goes, that's my opinion on it too as long as they keep doing something or even seeing or hearing something a certain way, those 66 days are gonna go by, it's gonna become a behavior. So the more that people that don't want that give a good influence for 66 days and beyond, it will eventually turn itself back around. It has to. You know, when we think about blind spots and we think about how we see things, you know, in the story, God had to deal with the heart of Peter before he sent him to Cornelius' house. You know, what are some hard things that God dealt with you guys as it relates to just how you see things different? What, was there a moment? Was there a word? Was there an encounter? I mean, you talk about faith. Was it a moment of your faith? Because I, what I want you guys to understand that God is the one who changes man. You know I mean? We can go to AA. We can go to all these different things. But ultimately... God is the one who changes the heart of man because it's always a work within. But what were those moments that maybe God, I don't know, Dennis, you had moments and, and different things. Proverbs uh, 14, 34 says, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Let me say that again. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. As living on the streets as an addict and a criminal, I learned that behavior that uh, uh, Robin was talking about. And it wasn't until I was broken and humble and I had nothing left 
that I was willing to listen. And when I was ready and was willing to listen, God set up the same way that God did with Peter and Cornelius on Joppa. I became a roofer and there was these Christian guys that were roofing. And every day at 12 o'clock, this, they put on this radio show, I think it was on, uh, I forgot what the name of it, but this dude talked like this, which was Raul Reese. <laughs> and so I'm up there roofing and I'm doing all this stuff and they would shut down and they would say, just listen. And I listened to this guy's story and I began to hear. And I said, man, that guy's, that's me. And then they invited me to church. So in the same way with Cornelius and Peter, God was working on both, the same thing that God was doing with me. And it was just the invite, the invitation, the love that these Christian roofers showed me that led me to where I am today. God used them mightily. I'd have to say, um, of course, one of them was in the training center. Um, I was uh, a part of OTS. Stands for Off the Streets. So I first met Pete also. We would go into high schools and talk to, to kids, uh, diversion, talk to parents, um, kind of set them straight, show them there's another way. But <clears throat> for those of you who know my story, I was born again when I was a kid. I just didn't do the right things. I was saved. I was just a knucklehead and went the wrong way. But for a blind spot and for my eyes to be open, was when Pete Contreras told me one day, I go, what do you want me to do, Pete? <laughs> he says, I want you to go to the San Diego Rescue Mission. <laughs> I said, are you high? I don't need to go to the rescue mission, dude. I got a career and I got, but I listened to him. And I went to the rescue mission. Best year of my life ever. So where did my blind spot come aware to me? Was when other people, when I was doing the low-income hotel ministries at the plaza, and doing different things with different people, every race and every walk and every, everything you could think of from the mission would come to me that knew me from doing a life sentence and was like, why are you different? And it dawned on me, the reason why I was different wasn't just for me. I can show you how to be different <laughs> and you and you and you and every one of you. Let me tell you, this is why I'm different. I decided to obey. I decided to follow Amen. Jesus. Hey guys, you know, as we're closing up this morning, I just want to encourage you that we just have to realize that we all have blind spots and that God's working us through those things. Amen? Let's pray. Father heaven, thank you, Lord, for this morning. Thank you for your love and blessings. And I ask your hand upon your people this morning, Lord, as we break communion, Father, as we look at the cross, we look at all that you're doing. We're praying, Lord, that you would help us in our own journey, Lord, to love our neighbor. Father, you said, love our neighbor as you have loved us. Uh, Father, you died for us, and so we're called to sacrificially love our neighbor. We thank you, we praise you, and we honor you in Jesus' name. Thanks again for joining us. Contact us or learn more at our website, newvision.city. See you next time.